This is episode 78 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 78 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, I have Jeremy Ivany on the show. For those of you who don't know Jeremy, he's got a pretty incredible story. The guy's only 24 years old. He started investing in real estate 13 months ago, and he's already acquired 11 properties. Yes, you heard that right, 11 properties. He's obviously got an angle, and that's the thing I often notice. When I see somebody that's done a heck of a lot in a very short period of time, there's always an angle. And I I would really encourage you to try and take from this episode that there is an angle that you can find in your business and potentially apply it to your business to grow faster. And whether that be a niche type of property you go after, whether that be a niche way that you specifically work on your properties or add value to your properties, it might just be a saving grace in terms of ability to grow and grow quickly. So Jeremy was able to share what he's doing, which is really running his own show, buying properties, renovating them himself. He comes from a background of being an electrician, so he knows his stuff, he's fairly handy, and he's using it to his advantage. And it was really just an incredible story. He found a market that worked for him, uh, put the fundamentals together, and he was able to very well describe why it is that he's invested where he's investing, which is Chatham, Ontario. This was a really interesting episode and I know you're going to get a lot out of it. A couple other thoughts for the day. Uh, So we're now into August and the economy is still not fully open. We've had a significant amount of currency injected into our system. Most recent estimates are in the ballpark of a $350 billion deficit for this year, which really means $350 billion of new money that's being injected into the Canadian system. And if you think back to supply and demand, if we've got more dollars chasing the same amount of goods, that's not good for the value of our currency. So what does that mean? Well, for me, I want to have my money in hard assets. I don't want to be carrying a lot of cash. This is just my personal thought. Um, But the challenge is we all need to have cash in order to run our businesses, to manage our rental properties, and so forth. So there's a delicate balance there. I just encourage you to consider your options. Check with your financial advisors, of course, but try and make educated decisions that are going to put you in the best position if, in fact, we do have inflation. So I'm making no specific recommendations, but I can tell you for me personally, I certainly want to have my hands on quality hard assets, uh, including real estate in great markets. With that being said, for those who are new to this podcast and want to hit the ground running, I highly encourage going right back to the beginning and slowly working your way through these episodes. There's been so many great guests and they've all added their own unique perspective. And there are even some people who have been on this podcast more than once and some people who are going to be coming back on this podcast again to share their progress. Uh, So it's highly, highly advantageous to go right back to the beginning. You can dig into the numbers in the early episodes where I actually post the spreadsheets on the actual video. I do think that that will be helpful for you in your process. And then of course, if you'd like a copy of my spreadsheet that I use for cash flow analysis, you can simply visit my website, andrew-hines.com forward slash cash flow. With that being said, I want to thank those who have left reviews for the show. And uh, I really, really appreciate all your support. It's been uh, fantastic. And of course, I couldn't do this without you. Um, Wouldn't want to if I didn't know that people were getting a lot of value out of this. So thanks again for your support. Without further ado, here is episode 78 with Jeremy Ivany. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Jeremy Ivany. I'm hoping I said that right on the podcast. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jeremy, how are you doing? Good, man. How are you doing? Very good. Thank you for doing this. I uh, I see your name thrown around. I know I've been following you on Instagram. 
And uh, I don't even know how that happened, but uh, at some <laughs> point it did. Um, do you mind just uh, telling me a bit about yourself? What I gather, you're, you're an electrician um, and I know you're investing in real estate, but uh, give us the story. Yeah. So for those of you guys who don't know me, I am Jeremy Ivany. I'm a, I just turned 24, some 24 year old uh, real estate investor and also a fully licensed electrician. Um, I just recently took the plunge uh, full time into real estate. Um, Taylor, myself, uh, my girlfriend, we started investing in real estate about a year ago, actually last June. And to date we've, uh, we've purchased nine properties and are in the, um, in the progress or in the process of purchasing two more properties actually this Friday. So that'll be, um, 11 properties for us in the last 13 months. Um, and yeah, like, um, I guess that's kind of the, the gist of my real estate story. <laughs> 11 properties in one year. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess it'd be like 13 months, but you know, yeah, we, um, we took the plunge just kind of after OREC. Uh, we went to OREC 2019, which was hosted by Matt and Jeff. Um, and that was a really big game changer for us. Uh, primarily actually for Taylor, I was always uh, really interested in real estate, but it took a lot of effort to get Taylor on board. And obviously when you're purchasing um, an investment such as real estate, you kind of need both parties um, into it. So uh, yeah, Taylor and myself, we went to OREC and then she finally got on board and then we started investing uh, last June. So Okay. And tell me a little bit about the income situation then. So if you've quit, so you, you've got enough, uh, enough coming from these rental properties, like, are, are you living really lean? Like, tell me a little bit about it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I guess, uh, when we first started last year, Taylor was still in school. So we only had one income at the time and that was myself. And I was, uh, I was still an apprentice at the time. So I was in and out of school and was never really making like a full electrician wage. We kind of always figured out how to live within our means. Um, in that sense. And now, now to date, Taylor has actually gotten a full-time job. So, and with us growing really quickly, uh, we, we opted to, you know, kind of throw me into the business full-time and kind of help scale it. We really want to, we're envisioning like a large real estate portfolio. And, um, so yeah, in terms of the, uh, financials, um, we actually just moved, um, I want to say eight months ago, to a little town just outside of London where we're currently house hacking. So there's two properties on the lot and we thought it'd be a good opportunity to, you know, have um, a tenant in the other property paying um, a good sum of our um, expenses, which would help us in turn keep ours down. And that would help us. So, yeah. So you're house hacking right now. Like what's it cost you to live, uh, to live at your house right now? So, uh, it's currently costing us about $2,500, um, to live. We purchased like a fairly large lot, um, outside of London. So it's a pretty, pretty big size house. And the tenants currently paying $1,350. We're actually Airbnb at pre COVID, which was excellent. We were projected to do, you know, about $1,900 with Airbnb. Um, but then when COVID hit a lot of our, uh, guests had canceled. So we quickly pivoted and just did like a long-term rental and we were able to get somebody in there for 1350 a month. So is it, is it furnished rental? It's a furnished rental. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's a little bit less than you were probably hoping for, but that's still, uh, still pretty solid. Exactly. Yeah. So you're 2,500 between mortgage and property taxes. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and, insurance. and uh, insurance as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then you're, so 1300 is being shaved off of that. So it's only costing you, uh, about 1200 then. Exactly. Is that right? And then you're splitting that. So yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty lean. Um, 
what, tell me about these properties. How did you get 11 properties? I mean, did you have a million dollars saved up or what? I didn't know. And in fact, I, I had less than a hundred thousand dollars when we kind of first started it out. So to kind of give a backstory, I guess about three years ago, Taylor and myself, we purchased a property in London. Um, this was a property that needed a ton of work and we were willing to do it. So we kind of did like a live in flip more or less. We purchased the property for about $190,000, um, renovated the entire place top to bottom. Even the exterior, we built like an 800 square foot deck out the back of it. Um, and then a year and a half later, we sold it for a hundred or three hundred and seventy-five thousand um, dollars. But in between that, we did a refinance. So when we really got started, uh, we sold the property. We had a mortgage on it for about two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Then when we sold it, we had about eighty thousand dollars to start. Um, how I got started really was I went to a networking event. Um, I met some real estate investors from Guelph named Mike and Michelle, who actually recently just moved to London, and they actually invested in Chatham. So I met them at this event. This was on a Thursday night. And uh, I remember talking to Mike and Michelle and they said, yeah, we own these, these four plexes um, in this cul-de-sac and we own all of them. And I thought to myself, man, that is awesome. Like that's sweet. So you guys just own every single property like in this cul-de-sac. And they're like, yep. And that night I went on realtor.ca. Um, I looked up Chatham, kind of did as much research as I could. Saw two duplexes for sale. That next day I, uh, I went, drove down to Chatham and uh, locked them both up. And that's kind of how we, uh, how we started investing. So those are your first two, your first two. Those were our first two. Yeah. Well, I mean, after you had sold your previous home. Exactly. Okay. Were you living in Chatham during that time or were you renting in London? I was, uh, I was living in London. Yeah. Okay. So uh, those two, how are you funding them? You funded them with the 80,000. That was enough for both. So I funded both of those with the 80,000. And, uh, at that point we were basically out, all we had left was kind of lines of credit. Um, and not really much of lines of credit to be completely honest with you. Um, we were kind of, we were really capped out at that point. So, okay. I'm just trying to wrap my head because that's only one year. So that was last June. <laughs> that so, was last June. Yes. Yeah, so, so how did everything that's happened in between? I mean, did you refinance <laughs> all these and burn every one of these properties or are you JVing? Like, what are you doing? So, so for the third property, uh, we got like the real estate bug right after those two. And actually it was a few weeks later, we actually uh, locked up another single family house. The only single family house we own in our portfolio. Okay. And um, yeah, we were super excited. And then it kind of got to a point where me and Taylor looked at each other and we said, we don't have money for this. How are we going to do this? Mm-hmm. So um, we ended up borrowing private funds for that and doing a complete burr um, out of that property, which helped us get our fourth property. Then out of the fourth property, luckily I met uh, Kellen and Angie. Um, Kellen kind of introduced me to the whole Purchase Plus Improvement Program. Uh, We were able to benefit off of that to help uh, finance the fifth property. And um, yeah, we kind of just kept going from there. So to date, we've done a bunch of refis to to help with that as well. So you're doing, so third property, you did a, a, what I would call the perfect burr. So you're able to get all your money back out, including your interest in carrying costs, everything. Yeah. And, and, and some as well. So tell me about that deal. What was it? Where was it? Okay. So it was a little town just outside of Chatham called Wallsburg. Um, it was a house, it was listed for $135,000 and I thought that's cheap. Let's go check it out. We went and checked it out. Um, literally a few hours before we went and checked it out, the price got reduced to Mm $125,000. So that's even better. Then when we went, walked through the property, the uh, the seller was kind of like, hey, I really need to sell this property. Are you guys interested? It was totally out of the blue. I didn't, I've never walked through a property with the seller in it since then. 
she just happened to be there and just told us, I really need to sell this. Um, I need some capital. Um, so that night we offered her $90,000. She came back at a hundred and we signed the deal. So, <laughs> so then we got in there, we started renovating the entire property. It took us about $42,000 to renovate it, including my time. Um, I always factor in my time when we're doing renovations. So you put a price on um, your time? Do you, do you bill I put it? a price on my time. I, I don't bill it, but I put a price on it so that when I'm talking to other investors, I can at least have some sort of um, like reference in terms of what other people are paying. Um, I would just charge myself at 35 bucks an hour just to have kind of a scope of like what it would generally cost. Yeah. So we put 42,000 into it and we ended up getting a, uh, appraisal on it for $195,000, which was able to get us all of our renovation costs back, all of our down payment back, and then a little bit of extra on top. Yeah. So at 190, um, you would be, let's just see here. So you would be, so 190 at 80% financing, right? Uh, 195. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, 195. So, so you would have been just over 150. So call it 155. Um, yeah. Yeah. So you would have had like an extra, so 142 in pulling, pulling 155 out. So you're basically, you know, coming out with, with, a, you know, another 13 grand in your pocket. Does that sound about exactly. right? 10, 13 grand somewhere in there? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, it was so about $9,000 after factoring in um, a little and, bit of holding yeah. costs and legal fees. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that's not bad. <laughs> your, your rental property <laughs> is paying you. Um, okay. And then that one cash flows now you have it rented out. Uh, yeah, it cash flows. So we're renting it out for 1375. Uh, yeah. we weren't able to get as much as we really wanted. Like I said, we we're really new when we got, when yeah. we got into this property and we just had the bug. Um, it ended up working out really well for us. Um, I mean the properties completely renovated top to bottom. Like, I mean, we did everything. Um, so, I mean, we're not really having a lot of maintenance issues, things like that. So, so you have new, yeah, new plumbing, it, 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 new, new electrical, everything. Yeah. So completely redid the entire electrical it was all knob and tube throughout. Uh, we redid all of the plumbing. There was a crawl space underneath the property and every, all the plumbing fixtures were on the main floor. So we were able to redo all of that as well. Um, so, I mean, long-term, we're not really going to have a whole lot of capital expenses. The, we redid the roof as well. I was, uh, me and my stepdad uh, re-shingled it, uh, built a new deck at the back. So, very nice. Wow. Yeah, so you just did it all. Did you, are you able to do the plumbing yourself? Like, I know, I know you are technically no, to. No, um, You can do it if you get a permit, right? Uh, <laughs> you got to know what you're doing, of course. Exactly. That's the only thing I don't touch. I mean, a lot of our maintenance requests, or I would say like probably 90% of our maintenance requests are plumbing. And I have, I don't want to be the cause of that. So I mm -hmm. always outsource the plumbing. That's the one thing yeah. I will not do. So when you're doing electrical, do you just like deck it out with pot lights? You just do them everywhere because, you know, you can install them. Cheap. Yeah. I think there was 46 pot lights in this property. <laughs> it was pretty <laughs> awesome. It's, got lots it's of a light. fantastic property. Yeah. It's a fantastic property. It's right on the river. Um, great location in terms of town. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, we're really happy with it, actually. That's a single family home, right? You said? Yeah. That's a single family. Okay. So what, what kind of cash flow are you getting on that one now? Uh, we're getting about three hundred dollars, um, including when we're when we're including uh, vacancy and a little bit of maintenance. I mean, we're not factoring in a whole lot of maintenance when we're when we're considering that. But yeah, um, I mean, what we're what we're more interested in is the long term appreciation and mortgage paydown. I mean, the property. I, what something I've learned is single family properties are very, very easy to manage, and um, a lot less of a headache than when you're talking multifamily dwellings uh, that are much older buildings. And 
So age is the big thing, right? If it looks Huge. old, then people treat it not as good and it attracts not as good of a tenant, more high maintenance tenant, or if it's in a bad area. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely know what you mean. So, so you've got cash flow at uh, thirty six hundred. Let's say appreciation. Um, I, I could easily see you getting four percent there uh, consistently in the next little bit. Um, so let's just see what that would be if you're one ninety. You've probably already seen it appreciate. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. So point oh four. So that'd be seventy six hundred. And then you would have, uh, I should be doing this in Excel yet. I'm doing it on a word document uh, and then pay down at about 3% of your mortgage and your mortgage is around 155 ish. Uh, so times 0.03. So you're about say 4650 on the year uh, for mortgage pay down. So what does that all work out to be? 7,600 uh, plus 3,600 in cash flow. So you're about $15,850 a year return on that thing. And you have no investment, so your return is return on investments infinity. So that's not bad. Yeah. We're In the grand scheme of things, I feel like you're going to do better than that. I think your appreciation as our dollar um, gets absolutely ransacked over the next um, six months. Uh, I think you could actually see your value go up a lot more than that. Um, I don't know if it'll be instant. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I mean, that's my feeling is that uh, property owners, people who own hard assets are going to be um, maybe pleasantly surprised and then really devastated on their cash. <laughs> that's, that's Absolutely. my crystal ball prediction, but yeah, <laughs> good, good day to own hard assets. I think. Yep, exactly. Do you have any JVs out of all of these? Yeah. So we actually just started doing JVs. Yeah. Uh, we've done three joint ventures. I should actually, sorry, we have four joint venture uh, deals now. So out of the 11 properties, we're going to have seven of which are going to be ours, four of which are going to be joint ventures. Okay. And we really started doing that once I, uh, actually just before COVID hit, that's when we really started to ramp up our, mm -hmm. uh, trying to attract joint ventures. Um, and yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're happy with how they're going. And yeah. now that we've done a few, we're definitely figuring out what exactly we're looking for in joint ventures and, um, trying to stick and grow with uh, particular ones for sure. What, what is your criteria for picking an area and picking a property that you want to buy? So for picking a property, I'm generally looking for something that needs a lot of work and then I'm going to get a huge discount on. I'm not afraid to, you know, uh, bring everything back to the studs and redo it. Um, typically where we're buying, it's in older neighborhoods. So, I mean, a lot of the floors are uneven and we're having to relevel a lot of them. I mean, restructure them. Are you good So yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've had a ton of experience now with doing it. We've done, I think we did nine, we've done nine renovations on our units uh, to date. So, I mean, we've had a lot of experience with having to, you know, jack up floors, uh, re-level floors, things like that. So I'm yeah. definitely not afraid of it now. We've had to do a lot of foundation work as well. So not afraid of that either. So you're, you're uh, going in and patching up foundation issues? Yes. I mean, the project we're working on now, like we've, there's a bunch of, uh, there was a, there was a lot of uh, leaks through the foundation. I mean, these aren't, these are things that scare a lot of people away. And I mean, I would yeah. be scared of it too, if it's something that you're going to have to hire out. But I mean, mm -hmm. if you're able to do it on your own, you're, you're actually able to get a really good discount compared to what it's actually going to cost yourself to do. And we're finding that more and more, yeah. um, especially with a team that we've developed and the, the skills that we have, we're able to, you know, do a lot of this and, or, or at worst case, figure it out. Um, so, so yeah, and I mean areas, 
now in Chatham, we kind of own, uh, we own like kind of in a little circle. So we're trying to hone in on that area, but I mean, Chatham for itself isn't really that big. So it's, it'd be bad for me to say that we're not buying anywhere in Chatham to say, or at least interested in anywhere in Chatham. So you are interested in pretty well anywhere in Chatham, including outside yeah. of Chatham with Wallaceburg. Okay. So exactly. you're not buying in London? No, not at all. Okay. So you don't have anything there. It's all Chatham. Uh, what's your average cash flow per house per property? So, tip- so typically pre-buy, we're looking for $100 per door. And after renovation and refi, we're looking at $250 per door is what, okay. we're, what we're wanting and what we're, what we're hoping yeah. for. And are you able to hire help out of Chatham or do you, are you just bringing people in or are you doing most of it yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, over the last six months, we've, uh, we've incorporated a few people to our team. Uh, we actually have a handyman and that works for us, uh, on a regular basis. I would say at least 40 hours a week doing, uh, just day-to-day maintenance on, um, any sort of property. Um, and then we've also hired somebody that helps, uh, throughout the week, you know, odds and ends, just helping us, uh, wrap a few things up here and there. Um, and then I've also got, uh, my parents that helped me a tremendous amount. Um, they're, they are actually contractors. So they, uh, so we all kind of work hand in hand together to, to do the renovations, which is, which is pretty awesome. And it's really fulfilling as well to, uh, to give people work. So. That's an incredible story. I, I've never, I mean, Austin Ye is probably the closest to that story of just like a really quick progression from like nothing to really a lot quite quickly. Um, so you just, it doesn't seem like you, you sleep much. <laughs> I haven't figured it's I, I actually do, you know, and I've, um, I'm really trying. So next year, Taylor and Taylor and myself want to travel a lot. So I'm really trying to create a business where we're not so hands-on and we're actually trying to step away from the business. Also while growing it, we've got like a pretty big, like short-term goal of where we want our real estate business to go. And um, now I'm working on that a lot more, but I mean, in terms of workload, I'm really not spending that much time on it in terms of what my, what I'd be doing at my day job. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hustling till midnight every night. Um, I'm not waking up at 4am and, you know, doing QuickBooks or things like that. I'm, you know, I'm generally working 50 hours a week and we're managing. Um, it's just about working smarter and, you know, just one, one project at a time and not getting overwhelmed with it. So are you not doing two at a time though? I mean, are you doing, we're doing right now, right now we've got four projects on the go and we're starting another one next week. And we're so potentially starting another. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, we have other people working on them, and um, in in all in all honesty, real estate's really not that difficult in terms of getting projects done. I mean, it's once you find the right people to do the work, it's really not that difficult. I think what's more difficult is the uh, the mentality behind it and staying strong. Because I think a, I think what's really difficult is managing tenants. And, um, you know, staying level headed because there's a lot of times where, especially when we've grown really quickly, we've had a lot of issues, you know, with deferred maintenance and, you know, we want to do this, but we've also bought this and we've got this going on and this tenant's not happy. And this one wants this. And, you know, you're trying to juggle just keeping everybody happy. And I think a lot of times it's just the mentality of knowing that you're doing your, the best job that you can, and you just got to keep working on it. So. Yeah, well, you're going to obviously have some growing pains here because you've uh, you've yeah. obviously grown fast and sometimes you just don't know what you're going to encounter. But you're obviously surrounded by a lot of people, including Kellen, who've 
had had some time in the game know know what can go wrong what goes right and and give you some advice there so has he been a major you know person that you've relied on or are there other people on top of that too yeah i mean i met kellen back in september we didn't taylor and myself we really wanted to at OREC. we wanted to meet kellen kellen and angie and we were kind of a little shy too and then all of a sudden in september they reached out to us and to date i mean we hang out with them probably once a week so i mean just yeah they're they're a huge influence on us mm-hmm. um obviously kellen's grown his real estate portfolio exponentially and it's really nice to have somebody like that to bounce ideas off of um mm-hmm. but for the most part you know i'm constantly reading i'm constantly uh like thinking to myself about how i want to do things and uh yeah I don't know. Yeah. Like what, what's your background? I mean, obviously you studied to be an electrician. Um, so is that straight out of high school? You just started apprenticing? Yeah. So I, uh, I went to like a one year program at Fanshawe and then right from there, I actually went out West for six months and worked on the oil fields as an electrician, which is actually where I really started to become interested in real estate. I lived in a mansion with like six other guys. The guy was 21 years old that owned the place and we were all renting rooms for him for $900. And I, I couldn't, I had so much time on my hands and I couldn't help but think that this guy was making a killing off of us. And so I really just dove into uh, what he was doing and he was investing heavily in real estate. I think he owned six properties at the time at 21, all just by the bedroom units for people uh, working in the oil fields. And I mean, this guy was making a lot of money and that's really when I got interested in real estate. So, yeah. Did you, uh, did you see yourself being here uh, 14 months ago? Where you're at right I now. didn't. I didn't. Taylor and actually, when we first, when we bought our first property, we had this vision. We said, if we, if for the next year, if we can just buy, you know, a ton of properties, grow heavily, it's not going to be that difficult to, you know, influence joint ventures. And that was kind of our goal. We we thought it'd be a really good idea to, you know, obviously, you know, growing quickly, you're going to get a lot of exposure. People are going to be watching, and that's what we had in mind. But to really think that we were going to be able to do it, no, I didn't think so. Like I said, we didn't really have enough money for our third deal, let alone our 11th deal. And it was really all about networking, figuring out how other people are doing it and um, not not making it too complex and just figuring out how do you buy the next one. So, Yeah, yeah, one step at a time, like you said. Um, despite the fact you're doing five, it was each one deal consideration at a time. Um, looking at those properties, just kind of breaking down your numbers. Uh, you're obviously doing a lot of work, like the one you said, 42 grand. I mean, how, how did you get that all done inside of 42 grand? Is it just cause you're doing quite a bit of the work or just have really good contacts or a mix of everything? I'm, I'm slaving, man. Like when I'm there, I'm working as hard as I can. Like I said, I would like, we work like 10 hours a day, but we're working yeah. so hard. And, um, especially now, like we work so well together, we're able to communicate really well. And we're able to line things up that it, it's actually moving fairly quickly. Um, like I, I'm not getting, you know, $18 an hour laborers to, to keep the cost down. Everybody I'm paying is um, well above $30 an hour that I'm paying them per hour. So, I mean, I'm not getting a discount in that sense. I'm just trying to be strategic about what I'm doing mm-hmm. and um, the process of how I'm doing it, which is, I think, is a big thing. You know, a lot of people get held up with, uh, like, coordinating things poorly. And that's something I learned being in the trades as an electrician. I saw jobs that went really smoothly and I saw jobs that went very poorly. And a lot of that had to do with who was in charge and how things were managed. So for myself, 
Um, you know, I let, I let my contractors do, you know, a lot of the thinking or I mean, a lot of the scheduling for me, I let them tell me, or I let them kind of just take control of the entire project. I'm not trying to nickel and dime people for, you know, flooring and holding people up, things like that. Or I'm not trying to find the most killer deal on a kitchen, um, or flooring, you know, I'm sticking with the same products renovation after renovation after renovation and it becomes a lot easier there's there's a lot of guesswork taking out of the equation and that's that's what i've found that's helped us tremendously yeah give me give me some examples what are some things that you just keep the same every time uh and, flooring? and what are they yeah so flooring so what are you using we use it's called uh lone tree flooring it's a stick and peel flooring from home depot it okay. is arguably the best flooring i've ever seen i can install like i don't even know like 1100 square feet in a day it's so fast to install it uh it comes by in four by four by six sheets and it looks beautiful uh paint we use the exact same paint everywhere um kitchens we i used to go with ikea now that they got rid of the pickup location in london we strictly just go to home depot and i couldn't say enough good things about the home depot uh cabinets streamlined are they the pre-built ones or you have to assemble them um, so they do have pre-built and they've also got you assemble. I kind of factored in what they charge you for the premium for them actually building them. And it's actually, it's worth it to build them yourself. And it trims the same thing. We use the exact same trim. It's like a three quarter inch by three and a half inch, uh, flat sided trim. Uh, we can get 200 feet of that for 50 bucks. So, I mean, just everything, honestly, everything. I don't know what we use that's different project after project. Yeah. So you're not really looking, looking for deals and something special. You just want to keep it the yeah. same. Um, like exactly. you, you do you get vanities from home people as well, or do you have like a Lowe's one that you, you get? Or is yeah, that- we, um, vanities are probably the only thing I change. I typically just go into home Depot. I look for the nicest, uh, vanity that, you know, I can justify the price on. So, I mean, you know, if you're talking like a 36 inch vanity, probably something under 400 bucks, I'm going to be okay with purchasing. I'm usually trying to buy ones that come with the sink and the mirror as well. So, I mean, it's just, you install the vanity, you install the mirror, you're not having to, prick it, uh, you know, forget the mirror and you're having to go back there and get that. So. Right. Those costs add up. I always remember being kind of annoyed early on at the costs of blinds and mirrors and then uh, toilet hardware, like all that stuff. It's just like, oh, this is kind of annoying. I'm spending all this money now. Um, yeah. Easy thing to forget in your budget too when you're, when you're getting started, but those are real costs. You need, you need to have a budget for those. But if you can get yeah, it with exactly. your vanity, um, you're laughing. So that's, uh, yeah, that's good. I mean, so for, for myself, like I tried Ikea cabinets, hated the process. Like it's very difficult really? to work with them. Um, I wasn't assembling them though. I, I generally tried not to get on the tools cause I felt like that was the most inefficient thing I could do. Yeah. Uh, you have a different story cause you come from the trades. Um, you know, but I've done the, the, the pre-built, uh, home depots. I've done the, um, ready to assemble home depots. I, those were better than the Ikea ones, but yeah, uh, yeah you just got to find something that you could be consistent with, right? If it's the same person installing the same thing, every time you get fast with it, um, you just want, you don't want to switch it up, right? Cause that just creates inefficiency. Um, yep. so yeah, I try and do the same thing that you're saying. I try and keep my flooring the same, use the exact same one. And I've got a guy that's willing to install it for uh, for comparatively a lot less than anyone else would, but he always does it for me. So he knows exactly what it, what it is. So it just, it makes it easier to do. Um, yep. t- tell me a little bit, well, two things. One, if you don't have your job anymore, how are you going to get mortgages to refi your burrs? So there's a few ways that we're, we're thinking about re- doing a couple of refis. Uh, one of which is just using a, a co-signer. 
uh, probably just a family member to help with the, the, the refinances. And another option is Taylor just got a full-time job. She's going to be making well more than I was ever making as a electrician. And when we were doing our purchases, we were really only using one income. Because mm-hmm. like I said, Taylor was in school and I was working full-time and now we've just switched roles. Oh, okay. Um, so she's on title with really, you? She's completely on title. That's one thing that we wish that we, we had known early on was to, I should have basically just been purchasing all the properties on my own. And then at this stage, it would have been nice if she could just purchase a bunch of properties on her own. Didn't really know that was a thing when we first started out. And, um, yeah, that was actually one of the first things that Kellen had told us was, um, oh, this is awesome. You guys are going to get to buy 20 properties together. And we're like, what are you talking about? Anna said we can only buy 10 at Scotia. And he's like, oh, you guys aren't buying them separately. And we like, oh, man. <laughs> so, I mean, live and learn. Um, like I said, we're trying to just go the entire joint venture route. And we're also looking at moving ourselves into the larger multifamily uh, buildings. Yeah. Uh, where of course, obviously, the building is going to help support the the loan far above yeah. what our income is. So, well, and the other option is is that uh, even in your personal name, there's still credit unions and commercial lenders that would work with you on uh, you know as long as you're five doors or more. So as long as you give them a package of five doors or more, you can still do that too. So, exactly, you got, you got some options. Yeah, I was just curious what what you were thinking because a lot of times, you know, people say, "Well, I keep my job so I can keep getting mortgages," and I totally get yeah. it. And, until you get into doing the mar- larger multifamilies, and then. Uh, and then they don't quite ask the same question, but I think it's really important. Um, you know, I really like having my own company cause I can, anything I do that, that generates income, I can always throw it through the same company. And, uh, and then yeah. it looks like I just have a consistent source of income, which banks like, and it helps for qualifying. And even if you're going multifamily, they still want to know that you have some source of income. Exactly. So for you right now, you'd, you'd say that you guys are both living off of Taylor's income. That would more or less be your position. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and if you guys are loving lean enough, that makes sense. So yeah, that's a, that's a good plan. Okay. So then the next question is tell me about Chatham, why you like it and what you like about it. <laughs> well, uh, why I first liked it, um, uh, why I was, while I was first interested in Chatham was obviously the cash flow. The cash flow was really attractive. Um, what I'm finding now that I really like is even in really bad neighborhoods, I mean, neighborhoods where you're getting scores of a deal, you're able to do, you know, complete refis out of these duplexes and triplexes, you're still able to find really good tenants. And something that I heard, uh, Mike Van Hout mention once was in a lot of these small communities, you know, when you're talking like St. Thomas, you're talking Chatham, you're talking Sarnia, these people are used to it. You know, it's not like us. It's not like myself where, you know, I grew up in London in a really good community. I don't think I would ever want to live, you know, East London in, in London, right? Because I'm not used to it. But in these small communities, they're used to it. They're used, they're, they've grown up there their entire life. You know, anywhere in Chatham, there's going, to be a, there's going to be a bad house probably on every single street. So, I mean, these people are used to it and you're able to find really good tenants. That's what I really like. And a lot of these buildings are, um, you know, historic buildings, which I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about renovating them and I'm happy with the end pro, uh, process. And also what I really liked was its barrier to entry. Obviously the properties were far cheaper than London, um, which was help, which helped us scale fairly quickly. Yeah, that's, that's a huge one. Like I would say, so outsider looking in, obviously cash flow is better there. Um, 
I noticed what you you've said as well because I've been to Chatham and driven around there and seen some of the bad houses. There are definitely there. Um, yeah. When, when you say a good tenant, tell me about a good tenant. What's a good tenant in in uh, in Chatham? What's their profile? Okay, so uh, duplex that we just finished up. It's on, you know, it's in it's in a C neighborhood, and uh, we just put a paramedic in there. And give what's your definition of a C neighborhood, just so I know. Um, arguably like a a a drug house within like twenty houses. So there's a drug say. house every twenty houses. <laughs> okay, I would say so. I mean, it's yeah. it's probably it's it's not far fetched to say that's that's yeah. a thing. I mean, there's there's obviously in in these poor cities you're gonna find yeah. you're gonna find these things, and you're just you have to pick and choose your tenants. You have to be. Uh, very selective and we've learned that the uh, pre-screening if we're very diligent and we make it as hard as possible for these people to apply for the unit and to see the unit we're going to weed out a lot of the the poor quality tenants i mean we had a we had a tenant the first tenant we ever placed it was in a it was it was in a rougher neighborhood i mean not as bad as the as some of the neighborhoods in chatham and the the individuals seemed they seemed very they seemed okay you know they were paying rent on time for the first couple months and then december hit and they just didn't pay um it was like december 22nd when we finally were able to get them to pay um and then you know the following month they paid on the first so we said hey it's just a blip you know this is this is great real estate's still fine and then the next month came they just did not pay and then the following month came they just did not pay uh, luckily they were actually, they will, they were willing to move and all we got screwed out of was really one month's rent, which was awesome. And, you know, I think it was two weeks after they actually left. She, one of the tenants that we had, that we had gotten out, got busted, I believe with $40,000 in drugs. <laughs> so, I mean, these are the people that you're dealing with in Chatham. And obviously since our first tenant placing to now, we've gotten a lot better with how we go about things. Questions we're asking. Uh, things like that. Yeah. But I mean, you're going to have it regardless. Yeah. And you're like more so than probably even, well, I'm imagining Welland is, is similar um, to that in terms of a profile, but it's a smaller town. Well, how big is, uh, how big is Chatham? So Chatham itself is about 110,000 people. The inner Chatham city is about 50,000 people. So, I mean, you're, it's similar to, similar to St. Thomas from, from, right. And not knowing similar quality of tenant base too as St. Thomas. Exactly. Yeah. There's actually quite a few manufacturing jobs in Chatham. I know a lot of people uh, just kind of talking to them on a glimpse, um, always ask, you know, why invest in Chatham? There's not that many jobs. And I, I often ask them the question, well, okay, maybe there's not a lot of jobs when you consider the job pool uh, to London, same as London doesn't have that many jobs compared to Toronto. But I mean, when you're comparing apples to apples and how many people there are in Chatham versus how many jobs there are, there's a ton of jobs. The, the unemployment rate is far better than London. And the, there's actually a lot of very high paying jobs in Chatham. There's a ton of city workers. There's a ton of agricultural work, greenhouses. Um, you know, they've got tech savvy. They've got, and then they've got just the general pool of jobs, you know, lawyers, doctors, pharmacists, you know, there's, there's, there's still a lot of work for people there. So nice well yeah you're obviously finding a way a way to make it work and and i've I've wondered that yeah what industry they have there so obviously you don't have any corporate head offices but of course agriculture all over the place 
and uh, everywhere. And then you have the existing infrastructure. So naturally people are going to come there. Like, are you starting to notice that people are just shifting out of uh, the greater Toronto area, even London, just for a cheaper property, just to come down that way? I haven't, I haven't noticed that. So I don't really want to say. Yeah, Um, it might happen eventually. I feel like that's a natural trend. Like people, like even uh, if you know Sav, real estate investor Sav. Um, yeah. you know, him, I mean, of course there was ulterior motive, but moved from Oakville down to Windsor, uh, cheaper can do everything better. Investments work better there. Um, you know, that, that mentality, Hey, if my money can go further, I might just go down that way. Uh, yeah. so that's a, that, that's a definitely a possibility. I know from an investor standpoint, certainly like you did, you're a prime example of that, just investors. So hopefully over time, as more investors put some money in down there, it cleans it up a bit. Maybe it'll attract even better, uh, a better quality people to come into the city. Yeah. I, I mean, we're noticing that too with driving around. So obviously I'm there like every day and you know, you're seeing, I'm seeing a ton of properties being worked on. But you're still living in London. Lo- you're, so you're driving I'm, down I, every day? Just outside of London. Yeah. So I mean, it's about a 50 hour or 50 minute drive every day. Not too okay. bad. So, okay. And I'm guessing you got a pickup truck. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm, I, I need to, I've been able to make my, I've put my Toyota Corolla to work. I mean, I've put, anything you can think of probably is fit in that Toyota Corolla somehow. And, um, obviously with leaving the full-time J job, that's a, that's a little bit tougher decision to make. I'm, like I said, we're trying to shift out of working on the job to working on the business more. We, we really want to grow our real estate portfolio and we've got some really big goals for the next year. So, yeah. Um, what are you trying to shoot for? You're at 11 properties now. Where are you, where are you going? <laughs> well, my main goal is a hundred units by next year. That's the, that's the main, that's the main goal. Um, I want to acquire at least 50. I want to have at least 50 units by the end of the year, uh, which I think is very obtainable. And we're trying to actually slow down a bit just to structure the business in a way that can support the growth. Because obviously with doing joint ventures, the last thing I want to do with having a joint venture is have a project be delayed because I'm growing so quickly. Mm -hmm. And that's something we're really self-aware of. And that we're working on as best we can to obviously hire out the best team uh, or at least develop the best team that we can and put ourselves in a position for next year to really grow um, as, a, as a real estate business. Dude, that's amazing. I don't see people grow that fast. But you, the way you speak is different. Like you, you, uh, you almost seem like you have some business education which I guess you just got the, the street business, uh, education. Yeah, I, I don't, man. And honestly, I met, uh, like one of my JVs, like James has been some, like him and I, we've got really big goals together. Mm -hmm. And obviously I think one thing that I've noticed, um, is when you find somebody that is in line with you the same as your, in your mindset and in terms of goals, it's really easy to, you know, push off of each other and exceed what you're expecting. And, um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that I'm, I'm very grateful for. Obviously we've him and him and myself have purchased three, four plexes together, um, in the last two or three months. So, I mean, we're, we're looking forward to, and then, like I said, we're obviously looking for growth in the larger multifamily, which is going to make obviously acquiring the units much easier than, um, you know, duplex after duplex after duplex. So now loosely, what's your structure for a JV typically? Are you, so you're finding the deal and uh, putting it together, managing it. And then the investor puts in all the money and goes on the mortgage. Yeah. So I'll just put in, uh, so one of the four plexes we're working on right now, uh, it was a 
it was a property purchased off market. I was able to find that um, actually through Instagram. And uh, so yeah, Fourplex found it off market. I pitched it to James. James was happy to to come on board. So James was the money partner. So he he uh, financed the deal as well as came up with all the mortgage and um, renovation costs. Uh, 50-50 split with cash flow on the refi. Um, so I guess to, to, to throw a number out there, let's just say the refi came back a $100,000 check and we only spent $50,000 for renovations. Um, the JV being James would get paid his renovation funds back and then him and myself would split the remaining profit okay. and he would eat the, uh, the, um, the down payment. So yeah, the original down payment stays in. So, and how did you guys, I mean, for those getting, uh, getting started, how did you guys structure that? Um, did you, did you just find a lawyer that does JVs and have them do it all up? Or did you have an agreement that you guys just had already on paper and you just made it work? Yeah. I mean, James kind of had something on paper that was structured through a lawyer already. It was already reviewed by a lawyer. So we just kind of, you know, we sat down together, a bunch of Zoom calls, a bunch of phone calls, a bunch of in-person meetings, just kind of making sure that all of our, that we are all on the same page with how this was going to work. And, you know, just a little bit back and forth here and there. We were more on the side of, you know, we just wanted to have a 50-50 split. And however we had to, you know, and we're just trying to split the roles up in a way that makes sense for all parties. Mm-hmm. So, are you thinking about incorporating a company for for your share of the JV stuff? Yeah, so we're we're actually just in the process of doing that now. We're going to be setting up. Um, from my knowledge, I mean, I'm not not one to speak on like corporations in, um, but I mean, what it looks like we're going to be doing most likely is a three tiered corp where we're going to have like a property management company, a holding company, and then like an overseeing company. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, very new to the whole corporation thing. So don't really have a ton of knowledge on that, but just something in the works yeah. right now. Okay. Yeah. Have you spoke with your accountant about that or that's just what you've heard? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We've, uh, we've spoke with our accountants. We have a meeting with it. We've already had a meeting with our accountant and our lawyer. So we're just kind of in the, nice. the process of setting that all up. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then just, I want to say that for everyone listening, that's the way to do it. Speak with your professionals. I mean, we'll talk about concepts and strategies and, and we have a lot of general knowledge because we're, we're in this business, but of course, everyone's situation is unique. Always talk to your account before you do it. Always talk to your lawyer. Um, I feel like with the incorporations thing, it starts really with the accountant, like lawyers, they're, they're much more secondary in that process. Exactly. Yeah. And that's what we found as well. Yeah. Um, tell me about, so, so you talked about screening. What are you doing to screen out the riffraff? Cause obviously we all get it no matter where you have a place, uh, you know, sometimes more than others. So what are you doing to screen it out? Okay. So actually COVID's a huge, um, huge beneficiary of how we figured this out. Uh, obviously with COVID, we didn't want to do a whole, a whole bunch of, uh, in-person showings. So we posted our ads, you know, on Facebook, Kijiji, Taylor kind of takes care of most of that for us, uh, for the business. But what, yeah, so we're posting it on as many platforms as we can. Obviously, we're getting a bunch of interest coming in. We're immediately getting them to fill out an application. Once they fill out the application and they're accepted um, on the terms, you know, we're typically looking for, can their monthly income support the, the rent? And do they have, you know, some sort of job that somewhat secured in our own, in our own sense. And then, you know, if they pass that, if they pass that portion and a credit check, that's usually, we're usually pretty, um, pretty firm with the credit check. You know, we want a credit check before they even come in. Yes. Yeah. The, the, the application actually allows them to, 
to submit their credit score. And it's, that's usually via like a screenshot of credit karma, things like that. Um, okay. If they pass the credit check, we're usually, then we're doing in-person showings or during COVID we were doing zoom calls. Um, and that like, like a zoom I, walkthrough. Uh, no, just like a zoom. We just want to talk to them because like we were uh, like Kellen taught us this, you know, just do a video walkthrough and then they can see the whole property They're You know, they're not having to imagine where this bedroom is or where this bathroom is. The video walkthrough shows all, them all of that. And really the in-person showing is just giving them that sense of, okay, this is what I saw in video and I'm yeah. still happy with it. And like, yeah. and usually, you know, our, our units compared to the Chatham standards are well above. So, I mean, when people see our units, they're generally very excited. They want to move in. Um, and yeah, so when we're doing the credit check that usually weeds out, I want to say like 90% of the people that are just, you know, uh, tire kicking or are not the people you want to rent to. And, you know, obviously then in person or on a zoom, you're kind of, you're, then you're able to feel them out a little bit more and say, is this somebody that I want to be on a month to month communication with? Because at the end of the day, we're like, you don't want a tenant that you're not, that you don't want to communicate with or that, you know, isn't friendly or things like that. So, yeah, absolutely. If they're not willing to go through the hoops then they're probably not going to be that compliant tenant that, you know, follows the rules and plays, pays their rent, <laughs> cuts their lawn, yeah. does, does all those things that, <laughs> that you would want to. And I, I agree with you. The more hoops you can make them jump through, if they still are hanging around after that one that proves that they want it, um, two proves that they can listen to instruction and uh, hopefully they've had a decent attitude about it the whole way through. And then you've kind of checked that off too, that they got a good attitude about it. So um, that's, that's smart. Do you use like a Google form or some other kind of form online to do that? So um, it's via our website. So on our oh, website, we, website? They, we just send it to the, to them, to the website, they fill out an application. And then we've actually recently just started using a, a tenant software called Buildium, which has okay. been instrumental to our growth. I mean, I cannot say enough good things about this software and it integrates with the software. It shows us all of the, um, it shows us all of their applications and, um, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite neat. Very, very user-friendly. I've never heard of that. Uh, so I'm going to look that up. Buildium. So how do you spell that? Uh, just build and then I U M. Okay. And it's, it's phenomenal. I mean, that's where all of, so it's, you're able to communicate with all the tenants through the software there. The tenants are actually able to go into the software and fill out maintenance requests. Um, yeah. and you know, they can provide photos and then you can have direct communication with them through the software yeah. about the problem. And actually now that we've hired on a handyman, it's nice because we can just assign or Taylor can, you know, look at all of the tasks and say, okay, is this something Jeremy's going to yeah. take care of? Or is this somebody or something our handyman is going to take care mm-hmm. of? And she can assign it to them. And then, so let's just say, you know, uh, Bob at unit three and fourplex on 101 Main Street has a problem with his leaky faucet. So typically what a landlord's going to do is, you know, he's going to call the tenant and he's going to say, hey, tenant, handyman can come by tomorrow at 1 p.m. Oh, no, that doesn't work for me. He's going to have to come by another day. Then you have to call the handyman. You know, you have a lot of back and forth. But with the software, it just, it gives them the number to the tenant. Then the handyman calls the tenant, sets up a time with the tenant, and then you just get billed at the end. And okay. so now what we're doing, just obviously on a, like on a larger scale, we're not able to keep track of everything going on day to day. So what we're doing with these maintenance requests is we're saying leaky faucet at 101 Harvey Street, let's just say. 
Um, if job is to exceed $50, please contact Jeremy or Taylor for approval prior to doing it. And that's just going to help automate everything. So, you know, if, if we see, you know, a light's burnt out and we think it's just a light bulb, but it in fact is like a huge electrical issue where they're going to have to tear down ceilings. We're going to know about this only if that's the situation. And if it's not, the problem's going to get fixed and we're going to have, we're going to have no middleman communication with it. Yeah. So it's really helped us. That's, that's pretty slick. And I know, um, I, I know Matt McKeever was talking about the, their software control your property, which was going to have, going to give you uh, you know, connection with your, your tenant as well. Um, I have one that I use, which is Pendo, which I don't actually use the management portion of it. I just use it for collecting payments. Do you have something that collects your payments? Um, so this integrates with the bank accounts and it shows which tenants are uh, outstanding in terms of rent. So, um, so what the way we have our rental structured is we we're just with BMO. We're actually, we're potentially thinking about changing the process, but with BMO, they allow you to have 20 accounts for the price of one. Yeah. So yeah, each rental true. account has, yeah. So each, each rental account has its own, uh, checking account. And so like, we're just getting e-transfers and then the e-transfers are going directly into the, the, uh, whatever checking account it needs to go into. And then it's integrating with Buildium. So it's showing, you know, um, 45 gray street mm-hmm. upper tenant still owes rent or whatever. Nice. And then we're able to track it that way. Nice. I'm on the fence with, uh, whether to separate the accounts or not to separate them. I started separating them. And yeah, now that I use QuickBooks to track everything, I feel like I don't need to necessarily, uh, there are still some benefits. Uh, but I know I've heard people talk about when they get into a huge number of properties, they kind of wish that they didn't, they didn't separate them. Um, yeah. What do you use for your bookkeeping? So we are just, that is something we're um, in the midst of fixing right now. So we're thinking about hiring just a bookkeeper or sorry, working with our accountant who has a bookkeeper that's just going to take care of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like we went from like two properties to like 11 very quickly. So it was, it wasn't something that we had a lot of time to think about all of a sudden it just came to a point where it's like, Hey, we're spending a lot of time on this and we shouldn't be. So right, yeah. like I said, that's something we're working on right now. Right now, Taylor's just doing most of it herself. So it's like Excel and, sheets. Is that how you're kind of keeping track of stuff? Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, how I everyone mean, starts. <laughs> <laughs> Get away from that and as soon as you can. Bad. <laughs> it's not bad at the beginning. It's very easy yeah. to manage at the beginning. But I mean, now you've got yeah. this renovation going on this, this tenants, yeah. you know, needs this fix. And it's just, everything's everywhere. And it's really, yeah, it can become a lot. The problem I find with it is, is you're going to miss stuff. The thing I like, uh, like it doesn't have to be QuickBooks, but it's something that will help you do a bank reconciliation. So test what you have in terms of what your book balance should be versus what your account balance should be. And if they're off, why? Um, I think that uh, when you Excel track, you don't really do that. So you might miss mm-hmm. the odd expense. And uh, that was the main thing when I switched that I noticed it got really easy and I could sleep better because I would always worry. I'm like, did I miss something? Like maybe I should go back through <laughs> everything all over again just to yeah. double check that I didn't miss anything. And uh, yeah. it allowed me to get rid of that thought. So um, that's why I think, I think that uh, like Build might actually have one or Buildium. I think Pendo actually does have like a full out bookkeeping for investors. I haven't yeah. used it. I, I, I like my system, but uh, there's probably many different ways you can do it. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. I'll be interested to see what you come up with. Right? If it's just like a bookkeeper, like I have a bookkeeper, but she doesn't touch my personal stuff, just my company. Um, and yeah. I do all my personal stuff, but I find it quite easy. Like, cause I'm the one paying people. So it's easy for me to just throw it in a receipt folder and then put it into QuickBooks. But, um, 
again, I think I'm a little bit of a nerd for that stuff. So I guess I should, uh, <laughs> should know. I'm it. <laughs> you seem savvy. Uh, you seem like I'm curious about like, you, cause your parents are entrepreneurs, right? So I think that you, you picked up on things as you were growing up, most likely uh, my mom uh, was an entrepreneur. So I think I've, I kind of picked up on things too. Like as I was growing up about how an entrepreneur runs their business. And, uh, yeah. do you, do you feel like that was that contributed for you? It's, it was for a little bit. I mean, a lot of it was, I moved out very, like very early on in life and I just kind of had to figure things out. And a lot of it had to do with a lot of the jobs I was involved with. I wasn't satisfied with. And, um, especially the company that I had just recently left, I, I saw so much potential and I was very close with the owner and, I couldn't help but constantly realize things that they were doing wrong and things that when I owned a business that I was going to implement. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with, I'm, you know, me and Taylor, myself, we want to live more of like a lifestyle, not um, just a constant daily grind. And I'm just, (laughs) I'm super motivated, man, to get out of it. Um, Not in terms of business, but in terms of, you know, constantly chasing money for freedom. And yeah, I'm like, I think anybody that's, you know, really close to me would, uh, would vouch for this, that I'm, I'm constantly excited about each and every day to, you know, just bring myself one step closer to, to what I'm trying to, to build out. And, you know, I'm actually at a point now where I'm very satisfied with the, the process for a long time. I was always interested in what's next. And now I'm, I'm happy to say that, like, I'm actually very, you know, I'm very, very happy with, with the way things are going and I'm not always looking forward to the future and I'm actually enjoying the process. So yeah, I don't know how that answers your question, but oh, that's great, man. <laughs> I just, I'm, I'm just, just listening. Yeah. That, that sounds yeah. amazing. I, I can resonate with that a lot. Like you're enjoying every single day. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was kind of like 2018 where I found myself, I was actually, I think I was in a state of depression where I wasn't satisfied with what was going on. I was, you know, I was making good money. I was, you know, I had a really good job. I had really good family, a really good girlfriend. We had a couple pets, like realistically everything was going good, but I wasn't satisfied. And I was actually constantly depressed about the way things were going. And it was more or less, I was living out or I was, I was day to day. I was building somebody else's dream. And it wasn't cutting it for me. And it, it was actually 2019. My New Year's resolution was this entire year, I'm going to be happy every single day. I'm going to be excited about every single day. And there was actually, there was only one day where I was like, I wasn't fulfilled in 2019. I was constantly pushing myself to continue growing. And I was, I was never satisfied with, um, you know, you know, just buying another property. I was always like, we need to get the next one. We need to get the next one. We need to keep growing. And then I f- quickly realized like, man, entrepreneurship is where I'm most happy. And oh, it's yeah. never, it's honestly, it's not about the money. It's about the grind and the fulfillment of, you know, giving other people work, giving like my tenants last week, I had me and t- like, this was actually a conversation Taylor and myself had on Friday night. I had seven tenants personally come up to me last week and tell me how thankful they were for giving them the housing that I'm providing. And like, man, that, that is it. Like, I don't, the, the rent, it keeps everything going. It keeps my lifestyle going, but that's not, that's not what it's about, man. Like when, when somebody says like, thank you so much, the old landlord wasn't doing anything. And like, we're just so happy to have you, man, you can't help, but be like, be satisfied with that. And that's, that's what it's all about. 
That's amazing. And I, I definitely agree. Like I, I've always said this, that I want my properties to be something that people are proud to live in. Like they want to tell their friends about it and like the whole not fixing things. I don't get that. Like why would landlords not want to keep the tenants happy? They're your customer. They're not going to keep being your customer if you don't do a good job. And uh, you know, if you know you have good tenants, take care of them. Of course. Um, Of course you can get some bad eggs in there too, but don't be mean to them. But, uh, but uh, of course, you know, try and do what you, what you need to do to keep attracting the good ones. Um, You're wise beyond your years, man. It's going to be fun watching you uh you crush it out over the next few years because uh what you've accomplished in 13 months is is pretty incredible so uh congrats on that man uh, if you. people wanted to reach you where should we send them uh where should they follow you or reach out to you yeah so if you want to get in touch with me definitely on instagram is the best way i'm on there every single day jeremy ivany i uh, won't miss it i've got a ton of pictures of all the projects that we worked on in the last year or two um yeah, I mean, and I can also be reached at email, uh, at hotmail.com Or, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm always looking to connect with new investors and experienced investors. And I'm always happy to share my story and also listen to others. And, yeah. Yeah, sounds good. So we'll, uh, we'll uh, leave it there. Actually, just before we go, any final pieces of wisdom for our listeners and viewers, somebody thinking about taking the plunge or thinking about taking it to the next level? Yeah, I guess my only thought that I want to leave with everybody is uh, throughout my the last, like, I want to say two to three years, I've, I've constantly been, um, you know, in front of people saying, you know, what you're doing is crazy. What you're doing doesn't make sense. Just have the job, keep the job, you know, just keep everything safe, save your money, just live your life out. And I encourage you to do what you want to do and not listen to only people who you resonate with and who you look up to, because I was oftentimes, you know, taking advice from people who I didn't want to be like, and I felt like that hurt, hurted me uh, early on in my real estate career. And to date, you know, I, I'm constantly surrounding myself with like-minded people and it's had a tremendous uh, positive effect on my life. So yeah, just go for it. Yeah. Well said. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's key like focusing on people who give advice that they're, they're people you actually want to have their results, right? If somebody is giving you advice and you don't want their results, then probably not the best person to be listening <laughs> to. And they'll be the quickest ones to tell you you're, you're getting into something risky and you look at what they have Well, they work, they don't seem happy. Um, you know, those yeah. are the people that'll tell you not to be a real estate investor and you got to kind of take that with a grain of salt. Uh, are they qualified to give this advice? Most likely not. Um, so yeah, man. very cool, man. I really appreciate this. It was, it was nice to meet you. I know I've just seen your name and I appreciate you agreeing to come on and, uh, it's really, really cool to hear your story. So, uh, thanks for, awesome, thanks for that. Thank you. Hopefully we can meet in person sometime soon. Absolutely. Take care. Thanks for watching today's episode. Just a friendly reminder to please rate and review this podcast on iTunes. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure that you smash the like and subscribe and notification bell. Uh, And also leave a comment. And hey, while you're at it, why not share this episode with somebody you think it could help? It helps this podcast grow and I would really appreciate it. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next episode.